Welcome back. We are here with the gang. Thanks everyone for listening. Some housekeeping before we begin. I'm consistently asking everyone to leave us in the comments what their pop five is. And we had a few folks leave that for us. So I want to shout those people out and let everyone know what their pop five is. So first, thank you so much to at, at Alex the Trombone Man. Your pop five you gave us is Hybrid Theory, the Lincoln Park record, Jimmy Eat World, George Orwell's 1984, mm. the musical Rent, and Our Lady Taylor's 1989. Um, and then also, we, re- we received one for a good friend from college named Michael Christmas. I am going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but uh, his pop five is Akabu Correr, uh, Fire Emblem 8, the game, uh, Vida Noir, Alfred Hitchcock, and Final Fantasy fourteen. So, Thank you for sharing your pop five. We'd love to hear more about why you love those things. And anyone else, if you want us to read your pop five, please leave us a review and let us know what it is. But let's get into today's show. Today, we have the gang here. We have Mr. Daniel. Say hi, sir. Hello, everyone. We have the ever funny Brianna. Hi. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) No Ronnie today. She can't join us, but we still have a really good show here for you today. And I'm excited to get into it. So... One of the things that we kind of wanted to talk through, our first Our Pop 5 were some of our favorite things in the month of May. And then we transitioned, went throwback edition and did a Our Pop 5 for high school edition. And today we are going to do the things that got us through the pandemic. Before we kind of get into things, I was really trying to think of all the things that were really prevalent throughout the pandemic and going through things such as Tiger King and Love is Blind and Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film, it was kind of, there was so much really good content that came out of this time period. And one, I don't know if it's because we have been in a situation where that's all we were able to do is just consume stuff on the internet, whether it was music or movies, etc. Or because the stuff was actually really good and compelling. So let's go ahead and get into it. I kind of wanted to go ahead and start and work in a little bit of a reverse order. I reached out to these guys and said, hey, what was something that you'd say got you through the pandemic and Daniel provided a really great one. So Daniel, why don't you talk about what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Bo Burnham's recent special Inside was released just uh, about a month ago now, but something that pretty much could only exist having gone through what we all went through. And obviously there's a lot of really personal moments kind of under knowing uh, Bo Burnham's history with, you know, his own mental health and And the issues that he's had over the years. But I was watching it again last night thinking about how this is something that it's like the perfect quarantine art piece, you know, Mm. whatever that would be. It's like the project that everybody said they were going to undertake, you know, oh, we're going into (laughs) quarantine. Like, I'm going to get so creative. And like Bo Burnham actually did it. And I remember watching it again, thinking about how there were moments where you could tell, like, I'm. I'm sick of this, you know, mm-hmm. and he powered through it. But yeah, I mean, what what did you guys think of it? Well, before we kind of get into it, you kind of said something that was really pivotal. And that was that everyone went into quarantine, I think, with the potential optimism to say, I'm going to be able to do a lot of really cool stuff. And a lot of life kind of happened. And where we are today kind of might be very different from even where we were at the start of that. So I do have a question and say, Daniel, where were you at the start of the pandemic and kind of what were some of the things that like 
maybe you had goals and aspirations for in comparison to maybe where we are today? Oh, yeah. I remember thinking just that 2020 was going to be so eventful and mm. I had just moved to LA, just started working on music with friends and, you know, people who are singers and songwriters and was just so excited to be here. And um, it's just, it's funny to think back on like, no, you know, nobody really could have predicted, I think, what we all went through individually, how much our lives have changed. But I just remember being so excited, so optimistic, so ready to start this podcast. Yeah. I mean, like, you're like, what a sucker that guy was. Yeah. <laughs> so naive. Yeah. And so naive. that's such a big thing, you know, for this show specifically, we had started, we were going, you know, we spent that. February of that year working on creating the first few episodes I think the ones we've released that were recording at that recorded at that time were our first episode Ty and then the episode with Isabel and the episode with Devin and we were ready to launch this show that was going to be my 2020 project and definitely was thrown for a loop and we didn't release this until what it what whatever it was a few months ago but yeah I think I'm grateful for what 2020 brought without it Brianna, I don't know that if we would have met you or that, you know, how life would be different. I would also say it was one of the worst years of my life. You know, there was a lot of just terrible stuff that happened too. Um, but we are here and I'm thankful for it. Brianna, anything you want to give input on? I know it was, you were finishing school. You were yeah. doing, you were at a dip, pivotal moment. Sucker too. But you know, what's funny is thinking of when the pandemic like first hit, at least when it affected my life, I remembered this dramatic afternoon. It was pouring down rain and I was sent home from my retail job. I worked at Nordstrom and it's like, we're running to our cars, like getting sent home. Like you guys aren't coming back. And it was just like so dramatic, like and cinematic, like what's going on. But also I think with the, with Bo's show, it's like a great representation of the struggle too, because mm. I had those throughout school working, my excuse for not having like these huge creative endeavors is that I didn't have time. Mm. So the pressure of that, obviously there are worse things. And I say that with full like perspective on it, but uh, the pressure of, okay, you get to be home and you mm. are just alone and you have all the time in the world now to create all the things that you've always said you needed time for. Yeah. And then watching like Bo in his room just like struggle and feel like everything he's making is shit. I'm like, mm -hmm. I needed to see this because like as much as it is like this amazing project, like I related to it so much. And I guess that's, yeah, it was great to see. <laughs> yeah. And for the audience, Bo Burnham, a comedian special was very much a concept special. And the idea is that you see this character, Bo Burnham in this in this short, um, is locked inside of a small looking like studio apartment of sorts. And he is tasked with creating this special entirely on his own, both from a music production perspective, from filming himself, from doing all of the editing, writing all the jokes and content. And you follow him over what looks like a little over a year in creating this huge project. Now, what I also think is interesting is it touching on everything that Brianna is saying is you can see both the ups and downs and he captures these things throughout the course of the project, whether it's the triumphs and you see the final finished products and how good they come out. But you also get to see some things as well, where you are kind of transported into those moments when you also see him struggling and 
really frustrated with himself and even just what the editing process can look like and even just the despair of being depressed and alone at certain points in the pandemic. And so it touches on a lot of really great things, but in a smart, funny way, but also really uh, telling of what someone who has been in the limelight might be feeling in a time like this. And I think he touches on that on quite a few songs. But Daniel, since you're the one who kind of recommended it, what were some of the highlights of the special for you and anything you want to speak to specifically? Yeah. Okay. So the parts that really stuck with me were the moments where he was frustrated. He was mad, full on mad <laughs> in there, you know, one scene where he's like throwing shit around and like trying to, to record himself saying a joke. And he's thinking about like, this is so ridiculous. Like, this is so stupid. This is so pointless. Mm-hmm. And that's what was so amazing about it is just not only is he, you know, he's he's funny and he's clever and he's always been, but looking at the bigger picture of not only are we in the middle of a pandemic, but we are in the middle of a social reckoning, as mm-hmm. he called it. All of these uh, issues of politics and economics coming to light in a way that we had never really seen before, at least in our generation. To to speak on my own experience through quarantine, I had a very similar experience. Went through the worst depression that I've ever been through, mm-hmm. developed the worst anxiety that I've ever had, and feeling like, wow, this is the art that I wish that I would have made mm-hmm. at the time. You know, just scenes where he's like joking about how he hasn't taken a shower in a week. You can see in his face like he's probably not sleeping well, not treating his body well. Mm -hmm. And being inside, you know, obviously is the, the concept of the entire thing. Looking at the world around you and realizing that, yeah, we are in the middle of this once in a lifetime pandemic, but it doesn't have to be this way or it didn't have to be so bad yeah maybe we will get out of this pandemic but what's right around the corner you don't you don't really see that in a mainstream special as someone talking about the things that he is and just kind of yeah he's being funny about it but he's genuinely like we're fucked (laughs) and that's that's it you Mm -hmm. know and like maybe the only thing that we can do is make art about it or laugh about it. I think that's the bigger point of if you're looking at the entire thing as a whole is it's a commentary on I think the internet and a lot of heavy heavy topics, loneliness, our role in what the things that are happening and going on in the world, but also as much as you had you were looking at it from very one dark perspective, right, which I think is valid because it's kind of touching on that. And you asked like kind of Maybe there is kind of nothing that could be done. But I think one of the bigger points that you kind of hear more than once through there is there are people who are trying to do things only for the purpose of their own self-growth or their own self-things. And sometimes it's just your responsibility in making things better is not doing anything, right? And so there are moments I think throughout, like I think of How the World Works, that song on there where he kind of very much talks about the fact that like, white people specifically, you know, like sometimes just 
you know, if you want to help, go do something or just sometimes get out of the fucking way, I think is like the actual mm -hmm. lyric, you know? And so there are a lot of moments where I think he kind of also touches on let the people who are dealing with it be the ones who deal with it. There are a lot of really incredible themes and kind of almost contradicting points of view throughout it as mm -hmm. he kind of observes his own role in comedy and commenting and right. very meta in the sense of you can make comedy about this, but how could you be doing comedy at a time like this kind of thing? But yet he's still doing it. So it's like yeah. you see a lot of contradicting viewpoints. And I think it's something he's struggling with as a creator. And you kind of see that as much as he does have care about all of these things that are happening in the world. What is the responsibility and, and how can you then act on it? One big thing that I think isn't necessarily explicitly stated in this, but I was reminded of while watching it was like for the things that were going on at this time, was it only as big as it was because we were isolated and had nothing to do but absorb all of the stuff that was going on? Would George Floyd have been as impactful if we weren't in a pandemic because it was just another story and everyone was going to the bar or going to work or going to school and there wasn't that focus of everyone's on their home, everyone's on Twitter and so it feels stronger. People are more able and willing to participate in protests because they don't have work or they don't have these things going on. And so would it have been as impactful as it was if it weren't in the pandemic? And I use that one as an example, but it was everything that was going on. Yeah. And so I think everyone was kind of at a height of all the shit that we were dealing with during COVID, whether it was masks and how politics ended up somehow absorbing the, ma the mask conversation and things like racial inequality or the environment and does it feel only stronger because we were able to now pay more attention to it? And is that only more damaging to us and making it feel more like grim because there's such a heavy focus on? I don't know. I feel like in that case, it was almost like divine timing, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like what other time it, it was perfect timing in that maybe we did all need to be isolated yeah. from distractions and our busy like unimportant lives to really take the full focus um onto those things mm -hmm. but yeah and that they are severe regardless of the circumstances but the fact that we were able to take the time and focus on them more and have mm -hmm. them be a little bit more isolated from our lives um seemed like perfect timing yeah i guess with last year there there was one really good song on the record that or on this special that I kind of think like touches. bag of shit? Just no. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that one is funny. No, but that kind of touches on this feeling of anxiety and issues and kind of the weight of dealing with all this. And it's called that funny feeling. So I think we should listen to a, a bit of it. Absolutely. I can't really uh, play the guitar very well um, or sing. So, you know, ap apologies. Stunning 8K resolution meditation app In honor of the revolution It's half off at the gap Deadpool self-awareness Loving parents Harmless fun The backlash to the backlash To the thing that's just begun there it is again, that funny feeling 
that funny feeling there it is again that funny feeling such a good tune i think we really touched a lot on the like heaviness aspects of the stuff that was going through because i think it's very much a big part of what the show is but i also think they're just <laughs> bangers after bangers of like funny he tunes can dance too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i just wish it had come out sooner like i wish it had right. come out during the pandemic because there's like this juxtaposition of being on instagram and seeing during isolation everyone yeah. like certain people being super productive mm -hmm. and just on top of their shit exercising and making the most of this free yeah. time and i just i could have used seeing something like this to comfort yeah. me in my own like despair <laughs> yeah what i think <laughs> True, for one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think, though, too, that I, it wasn't possible without it, right? I don't think sure. you'd be able to feel the lows at the same time. He's like, I'm having, doing what I can. <laughs> yeah, having not lived it, there's no way to kind of relate at that same level. But also, kind of going back to, like, some of the humorous things, I what he got a lot of controversy for is the fact that none of this is true. He didn't lock himself in this building for a year and few months, like... What? That was a back outhouse, not outhouse, sorry. <laughs> that was a back guest house in the, his backyard. So he got to leave that room whenever he wanted, right? So he was playing like this character, right? But I think it was also why he was able to kind of interweave some of the really funny stuff. And like one of my favorite ones is like FaceTiming with my mom. Yeah. Um, that one is just like from a music production standpoint so good like it feels like a bop that you would hear I in the know. club but then you hear those lyrics and you're just like sexting too i was like i yes. why do i like why am i memorizing this song oh, sexting that. is one of my favorites like as far as a bop moment. goes and the potential i'm like dang this slaps like i like this song so there's sure. an easter egg for y'all go back and watch sexting the part on the netflix special and the entire time you're watching this special, there's like an air conditioner, like one that's hooked up to like the top of the wall. And it's never on the entire time it's on. But during sexting, it's on and the temperature is set to 69. So Dang. it's like these little tiny Easter eggs. Where <laughs> he's a master. Like, it's things oh like God. he's a master. <laughs> I think specifically in the, uh, that funny feeling, like you could completely take this song away from the special. Like, I remember Phoebe Bridgers posted on her Instagram, I want to plagiarize this song so bad. And she posted that mm -hmm. funny feeling. And it, but it made me think, like, yeah, that could totally be a folk song that is completely separated from this special. And yeah, it does have witty lines, but I don't think I'm necessarily laughing when I hear that song in particular. It's too real. Right. Mm -hmm. And the way he stages it, like, as if he's playing at a campfire, you know, for other people. I think it's definitely one of the most serious moments. And at least from what I've seen on the internet, I think it is a, a fan favorite, you know, because mm -hmm. I think it it does stand on its own as pretty much touching on every single theme from the entire special in one, you know, wonderfully written song. Mm -hmm. So that one is is definitely my favorite. Yeah. I think the fan favorite, the one that I saw most online, people resharing and stuff too, is white women's Instagram. Oh yeah, that's a banger too. Yeah, it's like all over the place. Or welcome to the internet. Like mm -hmm. those two are both just like, I see them all over the place. But me and Dom, a friend of ours who we are having on the show, had a, we're listening to it on the car. And for some background, everyone, 
Dominic is here listening to this recording. <laughs> He's not on the mic, but he is He's here listening. He's feeding Ryan grapes as we record <laughs> <right> now. <laughs> um, no, but uh, we were listening to it and we were just laughing at the fact that in the middle of white women's Instagram, he has a really heartfelt moment of like what you would see on someone's in Instagram as like a in memoriam of a, you know, passed away parent. And then immediately goes into like, tiny pumpkins and stuff like that the other stuff that's on their instagram and it's just it's so genius in terms of how he handles it so all right let's listen to one more before we kind of move on to the next topic um let's do what was the one you liked brianna shit let's listen to shit it's a quick one too how we feeling out there tonight <laughs> yeah i am not feeling good Wake up at 11.30, feeling like a bag of shit. Oh no! All my clothes are dirty, so I'm smelling like a bag of shit. Go to pour my coffee and I miss my cup. OMG, that is just my luck. Look in the mirror, say what's up, you useless fuck. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? I haven't had a shower in the last nine days. Really feeling like I wanna get lit. Tell us how you feeling. Well, I feel like shit. Oh, shit. Feeling like a saggy mass of well, in transition, Daniel brought her up just a moment ago, and we actually came in with one of her songs called ICU from the record Punisher. Our good friend. She's not our good friend. I wish she was our friend. <laughs> uh, the forever incredible Phoebe Bridgers. So this record what came at the height of the pandemic. It was kind of one of the first big releases that came out and everyone was just kind of craving music. There wasn't a ton of things that were coming out specifically from between March and I think May or June when this record came out of 2020. And she even recognized, I think people are just needing some music and released it early. And so let's talk about Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. We came in on the song ICU. One cool little anecdote with that tune. Basically, it was originally titled ICU, kind of like the letters I, C, and U, like you would have at hospital. But when she originally released the single, she changed it to I-S-E-E-U, ICU. Because of like the height of COVID and things like that, not wanting to be insensitive. However, if you go back now and look at it on Apple Music or Spotify, it's back to the characters I see in you. So interesting. Basically, I really have such a strong attachment to this record. I fell in love with Phoebe Bridgers after Stranger in the Alps, her first record. Motion Sickness is such an incredible song. She has so many incredible songs on that. But as much as I love her and that first record, I fell in love with Phoebe because she started doing other projects after that that I also really, really admired her for. Boy Genius in her collaboration with Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus. And then she teamed up with probably my favorite artist in high school, Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes, and they did their project, Better Oblivion Community Center. And so all throughout, probably from when she released Stranger in the Alps up until this Punisher record, I just keep seeing more and more projects for her, just waiting for this next second record and just falling more in love with the art that she makes. And so I was so waiting for this record. And then it ends up getting released like the week 
of probably like the worst part of the pandemic for me, which is like a pretty big breakup I went through. And so it's such a depressing record. (laughs) I know (laughs) it's such a depressing record and she wrote it to be depressed. And so like I sat with this thing probably more than I should have. And it probably wasn't good for me, but for months. And so I have such a love and admiration for this record. However, Along with meeting this record or hearing this record for the first time, it also kind of aligns with the first time I met Brianna. And um, Brianna kind of came into our lives and us geeking out about Phoebe Bridgers was kind of one of the first things that kind of led to me and Brianna having any sort of friendship and talking about music and things like that. So as much as as much as it coincides with like one of the lowest moments of my life, it also like kind of was the trajectory for an upward swing and kind of changed my life in the sense of we wouldn't be sitting here with the people we are today because of this record. Yeah, no, I'm very grateful for it, but I kind of want to go around and, and see how do you guys feel about the record? What kind of do you think about when you listen to it and go from there? And we'll start with Brianna this time. I simil- Well, I discovered Phoebe Bridgers through Boy Genius. That song, Souvenir, is mm. like a favorite for me that I yeah. kind of, I could still listen to on repeat. It's funny. I said that's a bad combo when you said breakup and Phoebe, but mm. it's a good combo because I, I really believe in sitting in your sadness yeah. uh, when it comes in your life. And uh, kind of feeling all of the feelings, uh, even when it's really hard. And I feel like with Phoebe Bridgers, her music meets me in my sadness mm-hmm. and it becomes a comfort because, you know, it's dark to talk about. Like some of these things are dark to talk about that we're going through and it can be uncomfortable and it doesn't come up in regular conversation. So you're just kind of like isolated with it. So her record, both of her records like have help me so much and become like a companion in that way. Mm. And I, it's not sad. It is and it's not. And that's life. So, you know, that's kind of what she means to me. And she's just so badass. Like, I just love her and I can't wait to see her with you guys. So, yeah. Uh, my pot five is attending her concert here in LA in the fall. We'll be performing. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Our band <laughs> will be performing with Phoebe. <laughs> I tried so hard to get tickets. You really did. We had so many issues, but I got four tickets. So the whole squad is going. Phoebe, we are coming and we are so hyped. But Daniel, kind of what do you remember about this record or, you know, hearing this record for the first time? And Give me your thoughts. Speak on it. Yes. So... I remember in early 2020, uh, being in the car with Ryan, and he mentioned, have you ever heard of Phoebe Bridgers? I said, no, I haven't. And you showed showed me some of the songs off the first album. And I remember thinking that it was, the first thing that stood out to me was just her lyrics, and of course her voice, her very reserved Mm. delivery Mm. was, was unique, as we're kind of Rolling into 2020, she starts releasing singles. Ryan is sending them to me. Hey, you got to check this one out. And then I think the first song where I really, because you know, your friend shows you a song and you're like, oh, I like some of the songs. And then you'll hear that one song where you're like, oh, I'm a fan. I'm going to be listening to this on my own. That was uh, Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I think it, it has a emo sound to it i mean i know that you know a lot of her music obviously she works with connor ober she loves emo music mm-hmm. but um kyoto just sounded like a like an emo song to me and the lyrics 
of being a liar, being able to be held to a high standard, having issues with maybe committing to things or always changing your mind. And then the way she's kind of reminiscing on her situation with her dad or just like, you know, wanting to be out in the world and then realizing as soon as she is out in the world, she wants to go home. Like, yeah, that's the biggest thing is it all the juxtaposition of when I'm on on tour, I want to be at home. And when I'm home, I want to be on tour. And you mentioned it a ton. Like the whole song is kind of talking through being a walking contradiction and not wanting to be where you are and a struggle to stay present and appreciate the things when they're happening. And I think that's like also why that song I think resonated with so many people during the pandemic is like you, when you, when the pandemic wasn't happening, you weren't going out to shows or you weren't going out to concerts. And like, that's the stuff you miss the most when you can't have them anymore and not appreciating even the simple things like sitting in a restaurant. Like those are like some of the things I missed most of that time. And I think that song certainly touches on it. And yeah, I, I remember specifically falling in love with the song after hearing, I think it's like the second chorus. And she says, I don't forgive you, but please don't hold me to it. <laughs> and then she says uh, later on, um, I wanted to see the world through your eyes until it happened. Then I changed my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, those lines I think are just so, just so brilliantly written. The way that she expresses, because I, I relate to that a lot. I'm the kind of person who's like, I'm very wishy washy. I'm very flaky. I feel one way one moment and another way another moment. So that really stuck with me and made me push forward into the release of the album. And then, you know, I think that was, I don't remember exactly when the single came out, but I really started listening to it when I think the video came out. Mm -hmm. And then, well, and what I think is interesting is that then it was like, she really hit the mainstream Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. past year. Yeah. That record was Grammy nominated, you know, for best alternative album. She had like a best vocal performance nomination, I believe. So in multiple ways that changed her career and it almost like, (laughs) almost disappointedly like she became a household name you know like i'm very much like check out this indie artist phoebe bridger she's so fucking cool like you almost are like like, you probably haven't heard of her but yeah it's fine i've got you (laughs) you're very proud of putting people onto her and then when everyone knows who she is she's like well damn man now it's not like so special if everyone loves it no but you get excited because everyone does then get to appreciate the great art that she puts out so before we kind of of move on I do kind of want to shout out some of my favorite tunes on there and we should actually go out on one before we transition. But my favorite songs on that record are Change Every Day. I love the whole thing from top to bottom. You can't go wrong if you pick anything. But at the moment, I think when I look back, I look most fondly on Savior Complex, a Chinese Satellite, hmm. Garden Song, which I think is probably still my favorite song off the record. It's actually about Pasadena where we're recording this right now. So that's kind of interesting. Oh. Um, but yeah, I think if you're going to listen to any of them, listen to those. Listen you just to list Kyoto. all of them from the album. I know. I'm a, a track one. <laughs> um, like five minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say listen to those if you haven't. And let's actually go out on, on Garden Song and we'll transition to the next thing. I love you, Phoebe. <laughs> Thank you. 
We'll get back to the show in just a moment. No, this isn't an ad read, but we do have a couple things that we'd love to share. I've been getting quite a few questions about how you can support the show. The truth is you're already doing it by listening, but if you're looking to do a little bit more, the best way is to support our show is to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Rating and reviewing truly does make all the difference for podcasts. So leave us a review and in that review, tell us what your pot five is and we'll read it on the show. Another way to help us out is just following us on Instagram at MyPop5. We post short recaps of the show and include video or music clips that are referenced in the episode. They're some of our favorite pieces of content to produce. Anyway, thank you again for listening, and we'll get back to the show. You mentioned one thing, Daniel, and that was that, you know, there is a pivotal moment when you can kind of turn, be turned on to something your friends tell you and you listen because you trust their opinions. And then there is that moment when it kind of transitions. And this record was that for me, for so many people. So I'm glad to hear like kind of you are one of them, but the one that I, (laughs) the next thing on my list here, and I think it also fits the same thing is I was pushing this next thing so hard on everybody Say no more, (laughs) and no one fucking ever watched it. But now that they have, they keep confirming how good it is. And that is Ted Lasso. So, um, Brianna, I bugged you so much to watch Ted Lasso and you just you never what, did. Though, I love it's cool because I feel like I've been in that position, too. And when you believe in something so much, it doesn't matter. Like your mm-hmm. feelings aren't hurt that they're like this person isn't like taking your suggestion. You're like, they'll come around like they don't know what's good for them kind of thing. <laughs> and that's kind of how you were with the show. And you were right. I finally sometimes I think you've talked about this on the show before where. I need to come to this myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny too, because not to get too off subject, but when you share a song with somebody, you guys are like, obviously you guys are past like music junkie kind of things. I don't know what to call it. Music but nerds. Mer- music nerds. So when you share a song with each other and you're with each other, like physically, mm. do you get nervous when you play a song like, hey, you have to listen to the song and then like halfway through, you're like, never mind. Wait. I don't know why I offered this song. <laughs> yes. Especially when it comes to certain genres of music that I know. You might maybe, need to be alone. Right. Or, but, or maybe that it's like Ryan's thing. Because Ryan will show me like the best pop music I've ever heard. And then I remember like the other day I was listening <laughs> to a song by uh, Rebecca Black. And I was like, I can't get this song out of my head. It's such <laughs> a good pop song to me. And then, but yes. Yeah, so when I showed it to Ryan, I was like, I don't know if he's going to like it. It's so weird <laughs> how you get self-conscious. So do you guys get like, because I get that way where I'm like, you know what? I'll mm. send it to you later. You just listen to it on your own. Mm. I can't be here right now. I think it depends on it. who I'm with. Right. I think like if I know their sensibilities enough, I can generally feel like I'm confident playing DJ and showing the stuff that's going to work. But if there's someone who either one, I don't know their sensibilities or 
I know their sensibilities, but it's not something I know much about. Like, for example, if they're super into metal music or something, I never listen to metal. I'm not going to be able to like present them stuff that's within their genre. It might be what Daniel was kind of referring to regarding me. Um, But I feel like when I'm with Daniel, for example, I feel like I know his sensibilities enough to where if I'm saying this song fucking slaps, like I know he generally will probably agree. And I think it's somewhat the same for you. Like, I think I've learned some of your tastes enough to where if I say, go check out this show, I've never once heard you come back and be like, that wasn't it. Yeah. Yeah. And then same thing like with uh, our other friend, Jenna, same thing. Like I know what I can send her and what I can't send her. Like there are just very different things after you learn your friends and their tastes. Like there's some things I might hold back. But Ted Lasso though, I would say the except is the exception. And the main reason I can say that is because I already know there's a disposition about this show of not wanting to watch it because it's about soccer or sports in general. So like the general inclination is that I'm not interested in sports or I'm not interested in soccer. So I'm not going to like this show. And that's the thing I had before I started watching it where I was like, I don't give you know a shit about soccer. I don't care about the show, but I watched it because the creator is Bill Lawrence who is the same creator of Scrubs, who, which I'm a big fan of that show. So I watched it and it is incredible. And so I, and I wanted everyone to watch it because, you know, regardless of your feelings of soccer, it's just a phenomenal show. But audience, if you haven't watched it yet, and we'll do our best to be completely spoiler free, Ted Lasso is the show on Apple TV+. Plus. It is a show starring Jason Sudeikis, where he plays an American football coach who moves to England to coach a professional soccer team. Unbeknownst to him, the only reason he was hired to do this is because the owner of that team is trying to tank the team for her own personal reasons. And Ted Lasso, the character played by Jason Sudeikis, is just the funny, unrelenting optimist. He is so warm and wholesome, and you just fall in love with his character and are rooting for him, even though you know that he has so much to work against, and it is such an incredible TV show. I love it so much. Daniel, have you had a chance to check out Ted Lasso at all? I'll admit I have not. I don't oh, have man. Apple TV Plus. All right, we're what stopping the, the episode. <laughs> you need to go watch it right now. I'll tell you, kid, it's got a lot of heart. Yes. The show's got a lot of heart. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think he's just, uh, again, a, an optimist in a way that it it was inspiring, especially in the pandemic. I think TV in general has also skewed dark over the past let's call it 10 years after you started seeing more anti-heroes in TV, whether it was um, Breaking Bad or Ozark or mm-hmm. any of these shows where most leads are no longer genuinely good. There's always some gray and there's always some darkness and most sh- shows are skewing in that way. But this was the first one, I think, when everyone was kind of feeling low, where it was just feel good. You know, everything about it was, you feel great about it. And it's not too much of a character either caricature either in the sense that you are not just it doesn't feel real and so one thing that i love about what they do with him in the show is you get to see a character who's without you know sharing any spoilers going through his own stuff and you can see some moments of sadness and darkness and him having to work through things as well and all of the characters are kind of being drawn to making choices that are a little bit more gray, but in a way that, again, is hopeful and feels real and not too much like a character caricature. And I truly love the show. Definitely. 
Um, I also think it gave me like a new interest in soccer in some ways. I've never watched soccer, but watching the show made me want to be like, maybe I should start watching soccer or something. Or as they say, Ted would football. say, you don't need to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who cares about soccer? He so much doesn't know a thing about soccer. And that's one of the biggest bits is he has no clue what's going on in terms of soccer. But one thing's that I, one of the things that I've always said, you know, especially as it pertains to like leadership and things like that is I do always feel that effective leaders are generally not necessarily um, experts in whatever the craft is. And it's more that they are experts in leadership, you know? And so you don't need to necessarily know how to play soccer well to be a good leader. Now you do probably in terms of game planning and things like that, but in terms of leadership and getting the best out of people, it's not required to be a subject matter expert in that field. And so I think that's what's, you know, super important to acknowledge about the show is you don't have to know everything to be able to get, you know, something good about your team or in, in this uh, show about his players and even, you know, coworkers or his boss in the show as well. He clearly has a positive impact on them and it is such a funny show. And I've convinced Brianna f to watch it. I am still apparently working on Daniel, um, but there. <laughs> everyone who's listening um, after you finish this episode, please go watch Ted Lasso. I think too, um, I was just going to say like, uh, Ted is a unique character and I love that he's an optimistic character only because you're right. Like you don't see that often. I also don't think that's usually as well received as say someone that is struggling or mm. has like, you know, something mysterious going on with them. But as far as in real life goes, like I just, I love and value and find it even in myself of being the person that is going to be the positive mm -hmm. and, and doesn't mind saying hi first or like doesn't mind maybe putting themselves out there as kind of too friendly or too positive because I think it does serve like a greater purpose mm -hmm. and, and Ted's a great example of that. And, and plus too, like I related to like, you would never guess he never lets as far as like his own personal hardships that are going on that are super real and super painful. He, he doesn't let that impact any of his life like and i mm. that separation i really related to and yeah. just it was again like in any of these things that we connect with it's it's nice to see it. it's again a comfort to like see someone showing that on the screen yeah i think that's awesome that you had that takeaway because i kind of had a bit of an opposite reaction in the sense that i agree they do a good job at showing how he can be how he can compartmentalize so many aspects of his life and I relate to that because that's been something that's been a criticism of me in the past is not, you know, being emotional or sharing my emotions in certain aspects when I should be or leaving, letting work only be work or letting my music life only be my music life and my podcast life kind of being that and not letting those things intermingle and sharing those things. And so what I also think the show does a really good job is as much as you took that as a value of being able to not let one thing affect everything else is that it's also harmful, right? I think it's like when he starts to break down and let people into those other things is when you start to see growth. So I think they are two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Compartmentalization can be great, but I also think they show what the harm can be on him as an individual when he's choosing not to let people in on that other stuff. I get that. So <laughs> like, that's something I'm going to have to take to the therapist this week. Yes. <laughs> now that you mention it. No, yeah. that's true. But again, unique characters and it's a super uplifting show, but it's not surface. It, there's a lot mm -hmm. of depth to it.
Absolutely. And season two is out now. First episode, or I guess the first episode of season two is out now. And I think they're only going to be going into that territory that we were talking to a little bit more because they just brought in a new character that is a therapist. So we shall see where that goes. But anyway, let's go ahead and move on. And let's talk about another show that took over the quarantine sphere and everyone's kind of interest. It was the number one show on Netflix for a really long time. And that is Queen's Gambit. This was Brianna's recommendation. So Brianna, let's go back to you and talk about Queen's Gambit. How did you come across it? And why did you love it so much? Oh my gosh. I should have thought of that. I don't remember. But I That's do okay. remember having a similar experience to Ted Lasso where I was recommending it mm-hmm. and no one was on board. And like, it's, I'm like, is it personal? They don't trust my recommendations, but idiots. I'm like, look at the show. <laughs> like, you should have listened. No, I think, and I was listening to an interview with the director. He was saying too that he was trying to get this show made because it's based on a book, right? Mm-hmm. The Queen's Gambit. And he was trying to get this show made for a long time and no one would bite on a TV show or a movie I think it was originally intended for that was about a girl playing chess Mm. like that just it could end up sounding like a sports movie but it just like didn't have a lot of pull Mm -hmm. but man it's it's a it's an amazing show I I think on a visual level it's a visual show as far as like just the stills the color palette these like you know you could stop at any point in the show and it's like this beautiful picture yeah and i i love anything like that like with the wes anderson films or with this show where every detail is like carefully curated and Mm -hmm. and matching up it's just like takes a different interest but i think too it's a dark show her story Mm. is dark it's tragic um but it's also uplifting because she's so determined and chess is like a huge escape for her Mm mm-hmm and it drives her to keep going in her life. And it's just amazing. I forget how I discovered it. Yeah. Probably just showing up on Netflix saying, yeah, I, I recommended kinda, for I'm you, sure, Brianna. Yeah. I'm sure something kind of inclined me and I just needed something to kind yeah. of check out. I needed a new show. Yeah. For the audience, Queen's Gambit is a miniseries on Netflix. And it is a show about a young girl who grows up in an orphanage and gets uh, introduced to chess. And she falls in love with chess and kind of becomes a chess prodigy of sorts. And it's a period piece set in, I don't want to butcher it. I want to say around the 50s or yeah, 60s I think like or so. 60s, yeah. Yeah. And around there, and they do such an incredible job capturing that period. Capturing, I think what's interesting, sorry, I'll, I'll pull this back, that you kind of called upon in terms of getting it creative is battling the sexism that comes with not being able to get a show made about a young girl who's playing chess but also that the show very much in itself battles sexism and kind of what it was like for a woman growing up trying to play chess, you know, in this story and what the sexist roles were in that time period. And they do such a good job of capturing both the cultural and societal elements of what the things were that were going on at that time, chess aside, and also the period elements of what was the fashion like? What were the colors like? What was going to a drugstore like? The just differences in terms of how people acted and interacted in those time periods were was such an incredible thing in that show. And they captured that so well. The acting as well, Anya Taylor-Joy is phenomenal. Like it's yeah. almost every single scene, she just stinking kills it. 
Um, but yeah, there's also opioid addiction and things like that in the show that are very captivating and really help tell this incredible story. Daniel, did you experience Queen's Gambit? I did. And I think I agree with you, Brianna, that probably the most memorable aspect of it is the cinematography, the way that the show looks. I too am like a big fan of the Wes Anderson stuff. And so I think it's, I don't know, I guess I wanted to ask you, do you think there's something about shows that are aesthetically pleasing that maybe takes you out of your own world for a little bit? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, it is. It transports you. I appreciate the attention to detail. And yeah, I think when it comes to any film, I think you can get away with like long form movies, long form shows, even though this is a limited series, when it's so um, beautifully filmed, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're getting to enjoy not just the storyline, but I think too, what I really value in in movies that do and shows that do take the visuals like to the next level is that all those aspects are telling the story too. Mm-hmm. Like right. not not one detail was left like on unthought of. And um yeah, I just I don't know. Like it's so crazy when I think of TV film, it's so beyond my mind of how these things come together. Mm-hmm. Like how much work and how much thought and preparation it takes. I guess so I had listened to this interview with Scott Frank and he also did Godless. That was his original mm. show. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I haven't, but I want to check it out. I guess it's even longer form. Mm-hmm. But as far as like he was saying and it was like a really cool insight into how the show was created that he kind of was like hoping it would come together, which mm. I think is really interesting and, and helpful to hear. Um, in any of our projects, as you like put all of your effort, all of your work, and you have like this vision, hoping that it will come together and yeah. not exactly knowing. So I'm glad it did. It definitely did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think there's also something about like, being an artist where you have to make sacrifices. I know, like speaking for myself, it's never flawless in execution, right? And I know in filmmaking, there are sacrifices they're making on a daily you know, level. Maybe they wanted one more take and couldn't get it. Or maybe they had to cut a specific scene for time. So it's never 100% what you want it to be. But the way this was received, it was perfect in the way I think it had to be, right? So beautifully said. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. And I think it's a good reminder that when we are creating that it's never going to be what we want it to be. And I think even with the show, you know, when we are getting together and doing these things, there may be things that I am cutting or trying to execute, but like also just saying, Hey, it's done when it's done and put it out. And I think how it's received is going to tell the ultimate story. And so it's kind of cool to hear that anecdote. Yeah. I, Okay, another thing you said too is like, um, you know, you're getting to rewatch all of these cuts. Mm-hmm. And as the director, I'm sure anyone that's invested in the overall vision of a show, of a project, that compromise from the perfect image and getting to see it over and over and getting to see any little thing that's off with it, that compromise is, you know, usually more interesting than a perfect image where everything is set just as it should be. Mm. So that's another, I guess, good reflection just that you can apply in other ways too. Also the kinks in this show. The Mm. music in this show is good. The fashion was good. Mm Anya, so like, I feel like she's a face that you like can't stop looking at. She's so interesting and beautiful in that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I also think, you know, talking about creativity, the show does a really great job of, I think, battling the myth of how 
addiction either impacts or fuels creativity. And the entire arc over the entire show of you think there's the dependence on opioids or whatever, you know, the vice is that allows you to be successful in whatever your creative endeavor is and showing throughout the story how that's not true and how you are what's allowing yourself to be creative and not the drug or the alcohol or whatever it is. And that's something that I think comes up time and time again in art that people who have addiction think that they can only be good artists or produce great art when there's that thing attached mm-hmm. to it. And so I think the show also did a really good job of kind of highlighting that that myth and how they're, they aren't necessarily related, even though in your mind you might assume they are. I love too, and I think it's a part even from her addiction, but the confidence she exudes mm-hmm. to deal with the sexism, to deal with just even her age yeah. in this industry of these like geniuses, right? Like these master players and her confidence and belief in herself is mm-hmm. like, was so awesome for me to see and rewatching it, seeing that I, I admire it so much. I wish that like, that's something I want to have too. And I think mm-hmm. it's important for people to say, see, even with like the tragedies in her life, um, also, too, the chess groupies. Like, I yes. love those two twins, the uh-huh. boys. Like, they're just like, I love the little character. There's a lot of interesting characters, let's yeah. say that. Like, even the mother figure, like her adoptive mother. I That was such a unique, like, character. I didn't know. I was kind of weirded out. Like, I didn't trust her for most of it. Uh-huh. I thought something bad was going to come of that relationship. But it was just unique. And that's kind of cool, too. It's always nice to see. I was expecting a predictable relationship where she took advantage or something like that Mm -hmm. she betrayed her because i was kind of getting that feeling but it wasn't that at all it kind of turned my predictable like assumptions like on its head so that was cool too yeah all the characters i think kind of had their own baggage and drama that they were kind of dealing with and you i think the mother character was also very tragic you know i think she was also dealing with her own stuff and you can kind of see from someone who came from an orphanage how you can be appreciative of anyone taking that chance on you, right? And there's a love there, but also being able to recognize like kind of some of the harm, right? That character was both supportive and loving and also not and neglectful and had their own trauma that I think was being passed on to that character. So yeah, lots of lots of stuff that I think you could take away from the show, but Overall, incredible show. There is a reason it was the number one show in the nation on Netflix. And if you haven't gone and seen that, everyone, it is on Netflix. Go check it out. Such a beautiful show. It's only, I don't want to misspeak, but I think seven episodes, nine episodes maybe. But yeah, and that's it. And it's a short series and you can check that out. Okay, let's move on to our last topic here today. We have the duo of records by Miss Taylor Swift, Folklore and Evermore. I think this was huge for everyone because (laughs) maybe not everyone, I'm speaking my own silo, but it was big globally because Taylor had just come off of Lover and was planning to do this giant Lover tour. And I think everyone was ready for what was going to be that tour. And actually, before we get into this, Daniel, can you play Cruel Summer off of Lover by Taylor Swift. I think this is going to highlight the fact that Cruel Summer was supposed to be 
the bop, the single of the summer of 2020 before the pandemic and was going to be the hit. So let's listen to Cruel Summer. It's a bop, and it was supposed to be <laughs> the bop that kind of carried us through the summer as we kind it of... It was a cruel summer. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we weren't able to go to tours in stadiums, and she was actually supposed to open the brand new SoFi Stadium here in L.A. with this two-night bash for that record. And as a Taylor Swift fan, I was hyped for it. I, I wanted that and was kind of ready to ride Lover into the summer. However... The pandemic happened and Loverfest was canceled. And I think what was really crazy about this is music shut down in general. And this record was a surprise because Taylor went off into wherever she went uh, to the write woods. this record. The woods, you know, <laughs> she she paired up for the first time with a Aaron Dessner of The National and decided to work on some tunes and came up with folklore. And what's very interesting about this, and I'll provide some background for everyone here and for the audience as well is a traditional album cycle in the music industry has a lot of hype pre-hype singles before you release a record and a lot of promotion so that way the record can sell and do well and after you release a record there is then a touring cycle where then you spend you know eight months to a year and a half on the road really making money off of that record it's very uncommon for anyone at that stature specifically in pop music to do anything outside of that cycle because a label requires all of that so they can guarantee return on investment for what they have on the project. Well, Taylor totally threw that out the window with Folklore because the night of the release, she says, hey everyone, I've been working on these tunes and here's Folklore. What was so crazy about this record is I think no one was expecting it. No one was expecting any major music from any major artists. You know, Phoebe, we talked about earlier, released a record, but that was indie and it was something that was recorded prior to the pandemic. But no one was expecting anything from a major artist throughout the pandemic. And here comes Taylor with a full record that came out of nowhere. But what was also surprising is it was a turn away from the traditional pop sphere for her. Taylor started off in country music, as we all know, transitioned into pop with Red in 1989 and Reputation and even Lover in many senses and then had this change of course in working with Aaron Dessner to create this everyone calls it folk I wouldn't even consider it folk but um, you know this much lighter version of pop and from a narrative standpoint shifted away from this bi biographical characterizations and storytelling to more of folklore types of stories and third person narratives and characters and telling stories about these characters that were in her head and starts the record with the one even saying things like I'm doing good I'm on some new shit mm -hmm. like you know this I is I love when Taylor Swift 
says shit or like cusses. Well, this is also the thing. <laughs> thing thrills me more. This is the first record where she curses. So there's this was so many firsts for Taylor where not only does she curse, but she even says fuck more than once on the sh- on this record. And it is like shocking, you know, at first, um, but also like, hell yeah, go Taylor. So this was such a switch for Taylor. And I mean, it ended up winning album of the year last year at the Grammys. And man, I just love this record folklore. And, you know, she even closed it off with Evermore doing another sister record that came out around the holidays and there's just so much to love on these tunes but brianna what do you remember about folklore or when it came out because this also i think similarly came out right around the time you and i met yeah it's interesting because um the documentary miss americana about taylor swift really Mm -hmm. brought me back i was a huge fan of taylor swift and i think i kind of fell off I, i was a little bit fair weather um and i just felt like this sort of like calculation or manipulation from her and as a as a huge fan it was hard for me um to just feel like fully invested and then after seeing miss americana i got to you know, enjoy Taylor Swift like I had for so long and mm-hmm. who I had missed. Um, I always have had a routine of like when her album comes out, it's usually in the fall. I think it's it's mm-hmm. always in October and like, you know, the seasons are changing. Yeah. <laughs> I hit up Starbucks. I have a new album <laughs> playing. And it's just, it's, I love it. You know, it's a, it's a great memory for me. So um, same, driving to work, this album playing, Starbucks in my hand. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, once I saw Bonnie Bear was on one of the tracks yeah. i just couldn't believe it and it was amazing super exciting such a shock you know what one thing i expected kind of when well no one could have expected because there was no promotion but when you see bon Iver on one of the tracks and the fact that justin vernon was even willing to kind of work on a taylor swift project was surprising not because taylor swift isn't someone that anyone wouldn't want to work with but their two worlds kind of never really collided considering the very traditional pop sphere that taylor was in and the very you know, indie alternative areas that Justin Vernon and Bon Iver projects have kind of been in. And that's true even with the national connection as well with Aaron Dessner producing the record as well. But yeah, that that tune with Justin Vernon is so good. And it's something that was like, again, I wasn't sure when I first saw the track list, like, how is it possible that these two can create a record that would kind of work together and a song that would work together? And they totally do, and they kill it. And it's on. He comes back for Evermore as well, and yeah. closes that record with Exile off of, um, or sorry, not Exile with um, Evermore on the record Evermore. Um, but yeah, let's listen to Exile and listen to that collaboration with her and Justin Vernon. So I'm leaving at the side door. So step right out. There is no amount of cry. Oh, it hurts so good. Um, One thing, I was going to say, one thing I noticed, I love the, you know, of course there's the whole aesthetic of going out in the woods and creating this (laughs) like folk music of the, you know, inspired by nature. But then there always are, there also are all all these little 
either their samples or maybe field recordings of actual like birds fully yeah like is that the magic i'm like (laughs) that's something i guess i i don't even know if i've noticed that but i'm sure that's part of the whole vibe that i'm feeling yeah when i hear these songs which is exactly like bon iver's whole aesthetic too right because that was like the the album that really blew him up where he went out into the forest you mean his first record is the one that blew him up (laughs) was it yeah Oh, forever uh, forever ago yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just don't funny. get me started yeah. no you know sorry, what it reminds mean. me of too is uh there's a track with taylor and snow patrol or like the guy from snow mm, patrol mm-hmm. that i love it's like this is the last time and that was yeah. from red and that it kind of like that was my favorite song from that album and it, it yeah. gives me that same kind of like that's just a, it's like mainstream and then mm-hmm. i guess alternative or indie so yeah Yeah, one thing, you know, I'll kind of touch on before we kind of head out for the day on this is I think uh, she got a little heat for it because I think a lot of her, you know, dedicated fans love the biographical aspects of Taylor's writing because they like knowing what's going on with their girl, you know, they like Mm -hmm. hearing her hurt and things like that. And she does a really good job of telling these stories and she creates these characters of August and Betty and James and on this folklore record and kind of there are songs alluding to one another. And I really love the, you know, transition of kind of, if you're listening to the record, hearing the stories and the different characters from those different perspectives on those different songs. And she kind of just does a really great job and continues that on Evermore and continues to tell these stories and almost like fairy tales about these real people or sorry, they're fake people, but I mean like they're real stories, not like fairies and princesses and things like that. (laughs) But these real stories with these fake characters and it, it was cool to see Taylor branch out into this because one of her criticisms has always been that everything is about how it's a breakup song, you know, and telling her story and things like that. So I really love both of these records uh, to transition and give a little bit more love to Evermore, which is the second half of this, the sister album to this. It came out around Christmas time. And this is where I started to feel some of those feelings in association with the music that I think you were alluding to, Brianna, in terms of what it's normally like listening to a record is all of the things that are happening around you, whether it's you alluded to fall and pumpkin spice coming back and, uh, you know, white girl, Instagram, shit, shit, exactly. (laughs) Um, I felt that with this one, you know, there is a song tis the damn season, you know, around about Christmas and going home for Christmas. And as I was listening to that record, I was back home in New Mexico, visiting my family for Christmas and kind of, feeling all of those feelings and being able to associate the cold and the winter and all of those same feelings with that record. People have often asked me because they know I'm such a Taylor fan, which one did I prefer folklore or evermore? And one of my favorite things that I did around this time was I love both records. I would say like as a complete record, I think folklore is a better one. I think from top to bottom it has more cohesion. I love the elements of storytelling, like I told you, where there are the multiple characters on folklore and you can kind of hear different perspectives of them. However, on Evermore, there are probably two of my favorite Taylor Swift songs ever on there with Gold Rush and Tis the Damn Season. And so it was really tough for me because like, if I had to choose one or the other, I either am losing two of my favorite songs ever or... (laughs) really enjoying the more complete project. And so what I did was around the time that Evermore came out is I made 
my version of what I called Folkmore, which was combining tracks from both to have a what would my album be if I combined my favorite tracks and elements from Folklore and Evermore. And so I will post that for everyone yeah, to kind of consume, <laughs> share our Folkmore for people so they can kind of experience both of those. But yeah, I, I think to kind of recap for everyone, the pandemic was tough and I am so thankful for art because the title of this episode is kind of the things that got us through the pandemic. And I think if it wasn't for both the art itself and what the art has done, I don't know how I would have been able to make it through and kind of go calling back to some of the darkness and depression that we heard with, with Bo Burnham or Phoebe Bridgers and kind of the darkness and sadness associated with, with those pieces of content and the optimism that can come from Ted Lasso and the reflection that you can see from, you know, Queens Gambit and what things happened with folklore and evermore. I'm so thankful for art in those senses because I was able to work through my own stuff with that. But again, I think the biggest thing for me is all of these things allowed me to connect with others as well. And the others and the other people are kind of what helped me get through it, right? So if it wasn't about connecting with Daniel on things with Phoebe Bridgers and Bo Burnham or with Brianna on Ted Lasso and Folklore and Queen's Gambit, I wouldn't have developed these friendships that I have. And it's really the people in your life that help get you through your shit and as much as I think art can, I think it's what art can do in terms of the association with your friends and your loved ones around you. And so as you all look uh, back on your own things that got you through the pandemic, I want you to kind of remind yourselves as to be mindful of the way this stuff can impact you and the ways it can allow you to connect with others, because that's honestly what's the most important through all of this. So I'm super thankful for both of you. And I wouldn't have gotten through 2020 without you guys or without these things. So, so true for me too. Yes. Well, Agreed. let's send us out. Love you both. Let's go out on Gold Rush, my tune, favorite tune from Evermore. Um, before we go though, um, that'll do it for today's show. Thank everyone for listening. You guys can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at mypot5. Please do. We post episode recaps on every single uh, episode kind of highlighting the clips and some of the songs that we talk about and the videos of things that we talk about. But other than that, we really appreciate y'all listening. And please let us know what's your pop five. Everybody wants you But I don't like a girl